Labs, and welcome to But I Digest, celebrating the food in our lives, its history, its heroes, and all of its glorious hoopla. My name is Hans Rufert. And I'm Steve McDonough. Each episode on But I Digest, we explore a specific food, hack and slash our way through a jungle of information, harvesting the long, dark, ripe pods of knowledge, then slicing those pods in half to scrape out all of the deliciously aromatic facts to share with anyone who would care to listen. We're always happy to have you along with us on our journey, and today's topic is vanilla. Very nice. I like that whole hacking and scooping. All right, I will start by saying that, well, that was very nice, but I would like to say that we have our first guest. We haven't had a guest before. Today is our first guest, and our guest is my friend, pastry chef, Gail Gant. Say hello, Gail Gant. Hello, Gail Gant. Gail Gant oh, wait, is, that... is a... That's fine. <laughs> I love it. Gail knows um, you are a pastry chef, an award-winning pastry chef who keeps her beard awards out where her husband can see them. Right. So if he criticizes my cooking, I can just say, gee, honey, I don't know where your James Beard Awards are, but mine are right here. <laughs> right. So they're hanging in the kitchen at that home. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, restaurateur. We might have even had a restaurant together. We did. We had Spritzburger together, if you don't remember. It was I a two-year pop-up. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Right. What else do you want to tell us about you? Um, I write cookbooks. Oh, I, do you? I do. I have All eight right. of them. And I teach cooking classes. I do appearances at food and wine festivals. I have a root beer company. And I'm partners in a jerky company. So I'm, you know, not very busy, really. That's and a jerky yes. company. You, you need a hobby. You sound well, bored. I just wanted to thank you for having me over today because I had nothing to do today. <laughs> except make well, a batch of salted caramel sauce. And more than that, because afterwards we're having dinner and you might have made Yes. All right, we'll get to dessert later. I always make dessert, though. I know, yep. Yeah. I always make cocktails. Which is, so easy. Which is why Slow we're your friends. Bowl. I'm making drinks. <laughs> All right, so let's let Hans open us up. Do you know anything about vanilla? I, you know, I have to say there's a reason. I'm actually in Chicago right now, which is not a normal mm. thing for us. We've been doing this remotely, but when I heard that Gail was going to be a part of the podcast, I had sort of an idea that there might be food involved. So I made the, the slightly longest <laughs> commute uh, to uh, the Chicago area. So um, I'm excited about this podcast on a number of levels. And I have to fanboy a little bit, too, because I used to watch a show uh, on the Food Network. Uh, so, which is, honestly, I didn't watch a lot of Food Network. You know, I kind of knew some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, but yours was always engaging and always charming. So, uh, little fanboy note Thank there. Thank you so. so much. And you know it's back on. It's on Discovery Plus right now. That's awesome. Yeah. It is, as well as... Party line with the Hardy Boys. Yeah, so Discovery Plus. I never tell anybody. Actually. Why not? You should. I'm shy. I don't tell people usually because I was 20 pounds younger. I mean, 20 pounds lighter. <laughs> Sorry. I don't tell people usually because I was 20 pounds younger. I can't I, do it. I, listen, that's staying in. All of that is staying in. 20 pounds younger. I love it. I love it. <laughs> we understand. But I digress. Yeah, there you go. But you've digested since then, right? So that works. Um, well, right, let's get talking about food. Let's I'm, talk a little bit. I'm excited. And, and when so two things. I was excited that you were going to be our guest. Number two, I was excited that you picked this topic. It's something that I've been a little nerdy about, but wanted to learn more about. But I'm nerdy about it from the botanist side of things. So I grew up with my dad uh, being obsessed with epiphytes. Now, epiphytes are different from parasites in that epiphytes are things like orchids and bromeliads and some ferns and even some cacti and mosses. Those are plants that live on other plants, but they don't necessarily take nutrition from those plants. Now, mistletoe is another plant that you'll see living on another plant but it is a true parasite where it puts its roots inside the tree and sucks out 
nutrients from it. But orchids are true epiphytes in that they uh, oftentimes they'll have the roots in the ground and they'll use their roots to attach themselves. They have almost like an adhesive quality, but they use a tree almost like a scaffolding. Right, to yeah. hang on yeah. to. Is a staghorn fir? Absolutely. That is a great example. Those staghorn fir. Uh, yeah, they're lovely. I, uh, I belong to a lot of those Facebook groups of like staghorn fern lovers, which out of context might sound like a weird group now that I say it out loud. <laughs> uh, lovers, appreciators might have been a better term than, than lovers. But but yeah, staghorn fern. And sometimes you'll see them kind of growing uh, intermittently or, or intermingled where you'll see a fern and a bromeliad and, a, mm-hmm. and an orchid all kind of in the same zip code. So any type of orchid to me is fascinating. But the vanilla one in particular, obviously it's you've got this this great edible component uh, to it. And um, I've learned so much in, in doing this research. But the cool thing about orchids in particular, all the different shapes, I mean, there's some that mimic insects. They look just like, you know, the insect that pollinates them. And it is known or thought to be orchids are the most evolved of the flowers. And they all have this sort of lock and key mechanism where a very specific pollinator is doing the, the sort of reproductive duties um, for the for the plant. And so they have to get the pollen to, uh, to the female parts. And we won't go too deep into that. But... Uh, I love the fact that it's a it's a very evolved plant, and there's so many uh, thousands of different types of orchids. I was hoping you would mention that. From what I understand, there's 38,000 varieties of orchids. Yeah, and on almost every continent, not in the frozen ones, but I mean they're right. you know they're across the world and uh, and so many different varieties. So 38,001 um, if you count the dead one up in the master bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I saw one hanging on for life up in the kitchen windowsill. So um, anyway, it's it's just a it's a great hobby and you can go down that that rabbit hole. Um, But the fact that we get this amazing flavor from one and it's a flavor that I always hate when people kind of think, oh, it's just vanilla or plain vanilla. Like people sort of throw it to the side like it's, you know, white paper, when in fact it is such a complex, uh, you know, flavor profile. So that particular plant, again, it's a, it's an epiphyte. It grows like a vine up the side of the tree or, you know, in its, in its sort of native. And it was uh, discovered in South America and sort of became known in Mexico. And I'll leave some of that history uh, for later in the show. But when vanilla sort of caught on as a flavor, it, uh, it wasn't long before someone tried to smuggle out vanilla to other countries so they could grow it in in other temperate or or tropical areas. And when they did so, the plant would survive, but it wasn't making fruit, you know, or wasn't getting pollinated. And it's not going to make that uh, that vanilla bean, which is what we're after, if it doesn't have its specific pollinator. And, you know, each of those seed pods has tens of thousands of seeds in there. So those tiny little specks that you see in vanilla bean ice cream, uh, those are the actual seeds. And again, there are tens of thousands of them, but you're not going to get those unless you somehow get that pollen into the correct, you know, the correct area. Then you can't, you can't hear this on the podcast, but Gail's nodding hard. Oh yeah, that's a, it's a Just, vigorous nod. Yes, it's a, it's a very vigorous nod. Um, right now, you should have worn your pearls. So, uh, what what I thought was just fascinating. So they um, they took cuttings of the vanilla vine, sometimes it's referred to, and they brought it to the reunion. Is am I pronouncing that right? Reunion okay. Island. Because yeah. it's it's French, and uh, as as Steve knows, that me and French sometimes don't always walk hand in hand. So I didn't know if there was some weird accent like oh, reunion or probably, whatever. Probably, probably. Uh, so we're going to call it reunion. It's in the middle middle of the Indian Ocean. Yes, exactly. So, nice so and warm, nice and warm, and so on paper it was the perfect place to to grow and harvest vanilla. So they brought it there, they got it established, the plant lived, 
but no vanilla. And that's because the very specific, again, that sort of lock and key hand in hand mechanism evolved over millions of years where a specific bee would pollinate the vanilla orchid. So uh, without that pollination, it was just nothing was happening. Was it the pollination islands or was it? <laughs> <laughs> they used it. Yeah, there was pollination sauce. So uh, French pollination. Yeah. French? Yeah, oh, that's it. what I should have said. French pollination. Pollination. Oh, nice. It's pronounced pollination. That was a good one. Though. Uh, no. Like, somebody marked somebody marked that down. That was good. That's for the highlight reel. So on the island of Reunion, uh, a twelve-year-old young man who happened to be a slave named Edmund Albius discovered that vanilla plants could be pollinated by hand or by using a blade of grass. Which today we kind of just think, if anybody knows anything about plants, you kind of think of that. They sometimes they use a tiny paintbrush, but hand pollinating plants is is sort of a ubiquitous. Everybody knows it now. But the techniques that this young man sort of developed are really still being used today. So it's it's thanks to him that there is a larger growing region of vanilla beyond, uh, you know, the South America. But they are still having to hand pollinate when they're doing that artificial pollination. It's not mechanized at all, which is one of the reasons that vanilla and true vanilla products are so dang expensive. Truly. <laughs> <laughs> the bee, do you know the name of the bee? Oh, no, I don't. It's called the Melipona bee. So that's the thing that Cortez forgot to steal when he ah. also stole the vines, Melipona bee. Did not know that. And I wonder if he had stolen them, if they would have uh, taken over, you know, if they would have been able to, to thrive there. Might have been an invasive species yeah, and sure. done some other damage, yeah, yeah. though. We like to mess with those kind of things, don't we? <laughs> the thing that I think is funny is we're doing a podcast oh. on vanilla pods. Oh, I see yeah. what you're doing. Right? I think that's the first so sort so of wordplay pun in this whole series. Yeah. Very appropriate. And I love that you know so much about vanilla orchids. And, you know, the thing that's fascinating is we mentioned there's 38,000 varieties, only one produces edible fruit. That's amazing. All those. So it's, you know, it's special among special things. And for vanilla, it takes a, it's about a two-year process. So it's way longer than having, you know, children. It <laughs> takes about nine months just for that green bean to grow, that long green bean, and then another nine-ish months to age it. And when they're growing it, I mean, f first, there's just the pollination that's the issue. So we've got a four-hour window that starts at about five in the morning. And if that flower doesn't get pollinated within that four-hour window, it drops off the vine. Wow. So you've lost your shot. So it's really important to go out at four or five in the morning, see who's blooming and go around and pollinate them. Now, luckily, they don't all bloom on the same day. So you're doing that every day, every day, every day. But if you don't get to them in time, you're not going to get a vanilla bean. Now, even sometimes when they do pollinate all their flowers, they may go back in later and knock some off or knock some of the beans off because the vines get so heavy mm -hmm. that they break because the cluster, I don't know if you've ever seen the cluster of green beans, but they look kind of like green bananas, only thinner. Um, and they grow pretty long, like almost like a Japanese long bean. Then they have to be picked. Then they have to be wrapped in burlap bags and, and kind of like let to rest at night to sort of work on the enzymes. And then during the day, they, they open up the burlap and let it dry in the sun. And they do that for months and months and months. And if you've got Tahitian beans, those they massage at night before they put them to bed. Wow. Tahitian beans are these chubbier ones. I don't know if you've ever seen the difference between like a Mexican and a Tahitian mm. bean. It's the same variety originally, but they somehow like kind of changed yeah, like over time. 
eating, sure. So they're much like shorter and squattier Tahitian beans and they're chubbier. They have less seeds inside, which I call the vanilla caviar because it's it looks kind of like caviar and it gives off a lot of flavor. It has about half as much, but they massage them all the time to keep them like loose and uh can't think of the word for it there's almost like this gel inside there Mm. and they're keeping that moist and and movable so there's a lot of care that goes into them and then after they've aged them for about nine months and they've developed these 171 different flavor characteristics that cannot be reproduced by imitation vanilla then they got to get them to market and that's like a whole other thing because you're like loading them up on your burrow and riding it to the market. And sometimes you get kidnapped or, you know, people steal your vanilla beans. There are actually vanilla beans that are branded. So sometimes the plantation owner will take like a little set of pin pricks and just stick it into the green bean. So if you've ever had a bean that has like little white dots on it, mm-hmm. that's not mold or, you know, crystal acid crystals or anything. That's the brand. So it's been poked so that there's a certain certain symbol for each plantation. And if those beans get to market and the right owner isn't bringing them, they know they're stolen. Yeah, I heard there's like a vanilla mafia kind of a thing in certain areas too. Like it's a high crime kind of thing. Right. It's I think it's the second most expensive ingredient, you know, just after saffron. And it takes five pounds of fresh beans to make one pound of vanilla. So, you know, kind of like maple syrup. You've got this, you know, need a lot to make a little. And it's a two-year process. Process. So that's part of why it's so expensive. What's, uh, I mean, this is just a, me asking an ignorant question, but what's the shelf life? I mean, so is it, it after it's pollinated and you have the ready for market, how long can you hold a vanilla bean? Well, it kind of depends how you store it. Um, you, know, you can, if you're Gale, you can hold a vanilla bean for as, how old are your kids? <laughs> <laughs> Every, you know, she'll come to a, a party <laughs> and, and, you know, make something delicious and say, oh, but I'm taking my bean. <laughs> And the bean goes with her and then she comes back. She's like, oh, you've known this bean since 1935. I've been using this bean. <laughs> Am I lying? Well, they do last a long time if you keep them airtight, you know, in a little plastic bag. But they're reusable, I think, is right. what you're talking about. So I'll show up, you know, to make some dessert, bring my vanilla beans, rinse them off after dinner, you know, after I make it. And you can dry them on the counter and reuse them. You can dry them and stick them in sugar, you know. So and if you've cooked them in something that's got milk or dairy, you might want to store them in the refrigerator mm-hmm. after that. But they they are reusable three, four, five different times. And, you know, even once the caviar is all out of it, the the bean pod sure. still gives off flavor. So it's not just that like, oh, I don't have any of the caviar anymore. I'm just trying to imagine a scenario of knowing you, which I don't know you yet as well as I hope to, but just a scenario where you're actually throwing one away. Does that happen often that you actually discard a vanilla bean? Um... It goes into the sugar. That's what I mean. Yeah. I I want to be like, yeah, compost it. Sure. But no, I have a jar of sugar on my counter and they just go in there. You just get it in perpetual. And you can grind them up with the sugar too. So you could just pulverize the whole thing and make vanilla sugar that way, like in a Cuisinart. So then you're, you're actually using the whole pod. You really are. Love it. So when you're finding that you're baking here in the States versus mm-hmm. when you were studying in France when you were younger, like, is there different ways of different? I don't know what I'm asking, but you know what I'm asking. Vanilla is perceived completely yeah, different yeah. in Europe than it is here in America. So in Europe, it's a particular flavor that you call out on the menu. Like if you have anise in something, you know, it's an anise panna cotta. If you have vanilla in something in Europe, France, Italy, anywhere, you call out, you know, vanilla creme brulee. Here in America, we tend 
like salt almost. We tend to put vanilla in everything we bake and even savory dishes. It's in, mm -hmm. you know, meat in different sauces because mm -hmm. it adds kind of a meaty mouthfeel to things. Yeah. So here I always talk about the vanilla sort of the underwear of the <laughs> pastry world because it's like it's in there you know it's behind the scenes in everything making everything else look good and taste good like good underwear yeah but we don't really call it out or we don't analyze and be like oh is that vanilla you've got in there that's so odd you know it's it's in every cookie recipe it's in every cake recipe and like you said hans it's sort of considered synonymous with plain mm -hmm. which i resent you know people call it a vanilla box when you're renting you know a space and like there's nothing plain about vanilla at all it is so complex and i think people don't understand that whereas in europe they do mm. consider it you know interesting and, and right here it's the flavor that the kids are going to get because you don't want to freak them out with flavors right or it's oh. the candle you give you know oh don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> i learned that the international ice cream association yes they say the vanilla is actually the first choice of ice cream eaters at 29%, followed by chocolate at uh, like 9%, and then butter pecan and strawberry are tied. And Isn't it, it funny that butter pecan is right up there too? Well, and I think vanilla is probably in butter pecan. So mm -hmm. vanilla is oh, everywhere. Yeah. You know, you, it sort of plays well with others and always, you know, takes it back. Yeah. It's, it's like the stage crew. You know, it's not the actor on stage. Ice cream. He bought me ice cream. <laughs> vanilla ice cream. Imagine that. Do you know that? No. I do ice now. Cream. Oh, it's a, it's oh, I a, love the fact that you don't know that. You don't know that? No. <laughs> no. Then never mind. We can just drop it. Or we can... Stop the straight guy! Because <laughs> you led me right into it, Gail Gann. Thank you so much. This is a musical... Broadway musical, famous Broadway musical, other songs in it. Um, she loves me, but she doesn't show it. How could she if she doesn't know it? And where's my shoe? And uh, I'm nervous and upset because this girl I never met, I get to meet tonight at eight. And it's based on a 1940 film. It's actually based on a 1937 play called The Parfumery. I wish I could help you. I can't. Then there was a 1940 film called The Shop Around the Corner with Jimmy Stewart and Margaret Sullivan. It's very also kind of Tom Hanks. Meg Ryan, you've got mail. Do you know it? Do you have any idea? I, look, you left me. You left me on the side of the road about six exits back on oh, this one. That's a shame because listeners, you heard that big hint in there, didn't you? Yes. There's a whole bunch. Of, you know how you were nodding? A bunch of other people wearing their pearls are going kaching, 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 kaching. kaching. <laughs> You don't know it, Gail? No. All right. Well, listeners, if you know what musical, Broadway musical this is, Vanilla Ice Cream, please go to our Facebook page, write it down. It doesn't matter if people have already said it. I will give you a like. I will acknowledge you and your Broadway knowledge. Now, I would like to say that Hunt's lost last week's um, Stump the Straight Guy, which was a movie musical that Debbie Reynolds starred in about the fictionalized life of a Titanic survivor, Gail and ask you real quick, a woman, it's about a woman who did not sink on the Titanic and the musical is called The Unsinkable. Molly Brown. Ding, 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 ding. What you do I win? Nothing. That was last week. Could you at least have struggled just a tiny bit? <laughs> just Don't just pop the answer out there. It makes no. you look hopeless. I mean, I am hopeless. But. I'm, I'm a Titanic lover, so... 
All right, last week was the unsinkable Molly Brown. This week, you're going to go to Facebook and join us. That was kind of early for Stump the Straight Guy, but moving on, talk to us about what about this whole Cortez drama? Well, Vanilla originated from what I understand in Mexico. And when Cortez went to meet Montezuma in the early 1500s, he was very impressed with a lot of things about him. His great army, his delicious hot chocolate that apparently mm-hmm. he drank like 20 glasses a day. And, and Montezuma felt it made him virile and ready for war and they so they had cacao at that time they were making hot chocolate with cacao maize some chiles and some vanilla and so cortez also learned about vanilla and the big pile of gold that montezuma (laughs) had and i think what happened was he went back to spain got some more funding from the king and got sent back a second time to mexico i hope i'm right on that one and basically killed montezuma Mm. slaughtered all his armies stole all the cacao and stole the vanilla vines and all the gold and took it back to Spain. Is there a musical based on that? (laughs) Can we make (laughs) So we talk about Cortez as, you know, some kind of hero in terms of you know, being an explorer, but kind of not. And he's the guy that brought Vanilla back, but forgot to bring the Melopona bee with him. So he's the buffoon that, you know, thinks he's done this great thing. And for 300 years, they struggle and don't get any fruit from this orchid that supposedly... Oh my gosh. Yeah, it takes until the early 1800s that our slave boy who's 12, and I always heard it was a toothpick or like a stick Mm. that he used to pollinate them. And I've actually had a chance to pollinate a vanilla orchid. You know, the flower, you're talking about how elaborate the flowers are, but the vanilla is actually quite plain. It's sort of chartreuse colored and or white. Yeah, it's like got, pastel chartreuse. It does have, yeah, kind of a buttery green, if yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's very interesting, actually. Like, you wouldn't notice it in a crowd. But um, I got a chance to go to French Polynesia, to Tahiti, and go to a vanilla plantation. I took friends, I took people with me. It was a cruise and I brought people to the plantation, taught them all about, you know, different ways it's grown, because sometimes it, it actually grows um, under a canopy hmm. in the in the rainforest. Right. It likes 30 degrees north and south of the equator. That's where vanilla grows. So it grows in Madagascar, Indonesia, Mexico, Tahiti, India. Those are sort of the major growing areas. But um, so it can either grow up a cacao tree and that tree is the canopy. Or sometimes they just have like trunks of trees that mm-hmm. the vine's growing up. And I got to actually, there was one, you know, flower open. It wasn't past one o'clock in the afternoon. There was one there. And I got to do what's called marry the flower. So marrying a flower means you're pollinating it and you're kind of wiggling that little stick inside. And there is like a little squeeze to it and a little like lean and kind of push. And now you've pollinated that hermaphrodite yeah. thing. Well, I'm from Georgia and they always say no pollination before marriage. So I like what they call it. <laughs> They call it uh, marrying and marrying the flower. It's, I approve. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what were we talking about? <laughs> so yeah, you, oh, you got yeah, to go into, yeah, and you got to, to actually marry the flower. So so you, how long did, before they know if that was successful? I mean, is that something that, how long? So at least it's uh, a two-year process to get an edible bean. But when do they know that that flower was successfully pollinated? They'll know within a couple of days because if it doesn't fall off, if it falls off the vine the next day, then it wasn't pollinated. So if it stays on and starts to create fruit, that's how they know. So that was the interesting thing, you know, Cortez kind of didn't think through. 
is how we're going to get these things pollinated. And it does take, like I said, 300 years for us to figure that out. And that's when they can start sending it to different islands to grow. Can I can I throw in an anecdote, which we can drop if we don't want to? But my dad was a kid when the Russians came in after World War II, and uh, some of those Russian soldiers had never seen electric lights before. And so they ripped the light switches and the light fixtures out of the wall and out of the ceiling and then took them away and then got angry because they no longer worked. And Get so, out. And so oh, they, they actually brought them with them? They actually came back and apparently had um, took some revenge on some locals because thinking they had been tricked. But it just made me think of that because it's like taking the light bulb and the light switch yeah. without electricity is like taking the vanilla bean without the bee. Right. And I'm sure there's many stories about, you know, cultivating tea plants, you know, not in India or China and taking them to England and, you know, trying to recreate these environments that these plants grow in. But we really don't completely understand sure. them. So, you know, I don't blame him really, but he was trying to popularize it as a food and it was way too expensive because they weren't getting enough production. I think what actually happened was they started using it mostly for fragrance. And then it wasn't until the 1800s when Queen Victoria thinks that's a nice smell. I wonder how it would taste. And she gets her like pharmacist slash chef to use it in desserts. So it wasn't originally used necessarily mm. just as a food. So did he develop the Victoria sponge for her? Uh, the Victoria sponge, from what I understand, was an existing sponge cake that was served at afternoon tea at another castle. And one of her ladies in waiting came back, told her about it. And I think because Queen Victoria liked that sponge cake so much, they named it after her. Oh, they should start calling beer Steve. Steve's. <laughs> Which like gin. a nice called Steve. After Gail, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the other cool thing about vanilla is the different beans from different areas have different flavor overtones. So if you get a Tahitian vanilla bean, it has like fruity or cherry overtones versus if you have a Mexican vanilla bean, it literally has sort of cinnamon or pumpkin pie spice mm -hmm. flavor, in which case you may want to complicate your life even more and choose your vanilla, choose a single origin vanilla, whether it's extract, bean, paste, powder, which they have in France, based on the kind of bean. So for instance, Indonesian beans taste smoky. Mm. And part of why they taste smoky is because their growing season is shorter. The guys in Tahiti were like mocking the Indonesians because they pick their beans so early, but it's because the weather doesn't stay hot as long. Yeah. So they pick their beans earlier and to kind of like push the ripening, yeah. they dry them over smoldering flames wow. and it imparts the smoky flavor to them versus Madagascar. That sounds wonderful. It does smell. It does sound good. Right? Yeah. The aroma, I can imagine. Yeah. And when I've seen the, the drying process in Indonesia, they have like these big wooden frames that are like mats on the bottom yeah. that they're, you know, drying them in. But the, you know, main producer is Madagascar. That's where most of them are from. And that's what most vanilla is either from or mixed with. So it's kind of like wine where you've got, you know, one grape that's really conducive to kind of extending other grapes. Madagascar is that. And we say that that flavor is creamy. So it has creamy overtones. And it's the one that's, it's like the Merlot of vanilla. So we use that one the most. So what do you think of um, imitation vanilla? Thoughts on that? <laughs> 
I just fainted. <laughs> I, just, I just became speechless. Hey, again, you well, should have wore those pearls. You could have clutched them. First of all, you. there's no excuse for using imitation vanilla because, I mean, yes, a bottle of vanilla might be a little expensive, but you're not using that much. Yeah, it's you're concentrated using, almost. It's yes. a, yeah, much more it's like dense. A teaspoon of it, it goes a long way, and you can see now why it is expensive, but imitation vanilla just does not cut it. There's no way they can get those 171 flavor components. Well, I have learned that uh, 99% of vanilla flavored products on the market, whether it's, you know, vanilla wafers, vanilla pudding, or God forbid, vanilla flavored vodka, that doesn't contain vanilla. You're not going to find it. I just want to stick my fingers in my ears and just go, la, la, la. Like, I don't want to know that. Don't want to know that. Well, of all of those different flavors and fragrance components you're talking about, the most prominent component is vanillin. And you mentioned that before. Mm -hmm. And making synthetic vanillin is fairly easy. It's easy to synthesize. It's 20 times cheaper than real vanilla, which is what we're just talking about. Now, the total worldwide production of real vanilla is 2,000 metric tons. Okay. But the synthetic vanillin is about 20,000 metric tons per year. We have a lot of work to do. (laughs) So it can be made from uh, petrochemicals. It can be made from wood pulp. Mm -hmm. Um, But it can also be made from... uh, castoreum. Now, castoreum is like a molasses-like secretion from the anal glands of beavers. You had me at secretion, but then you took it a step further to anal glands. Anal glands of beavers. What about beavers? I think about uh, I, beavers differently now. Well, you, so and I, I don't know that anal glands is truly very fair because they have like these pouch-like sacks near the base of their tail. So maybe, you know, it's in the same zip code as the anal. I mean, so I would count that. What's interesting about beavers is what they do is they (laughs) bite down. I'm totally passing over the sack thing. You know, they, they bite down trees. They kind of sharpen them like pencils, which creates wood pulp. Huh? Which oh. is yeah, like because you just said that so maybe that's yeah, the yeah, connection. That's a great point. You're they're making that. the wood pulp. Okay, so they've got these sacks, right? And that makes the castoreum. And they use that so... to mark their territories. <laughs> what? I'm going to tell you about the castoreum. I'm not even started. Well, I'm thinking of the recipe. Okay, one sack plus... I'm thinking of the poor guy that figured this out. Because somebody somewhere had to go, that, let's, let's taste let's that. Let's try that. Can you, you squeeze it? I'll taste it. Or I'll, I'll squeeze it. You taste it. I don't know like, which I'm not squeezing it. I did squeeze it. <laughs> okay. Can I tell you about Castoreum? We've got more things please. to say about it. I, everybody is so upset. Everybody, the other people have turned off their radios. So they use this Castoreum to mark their territories, establish colonies, deter predators, but it smells like vanilla. Deter predators? Wouldn't that draw predators the vanilla, in? The, the chocolate-loving predators uh. are just like, no. Or the ones that are like... <laughs> You know, that smells too simple. It smells plain. Right. Not the French. The French beavers are on it. <laughs> so now beavers can't see very well. They can't hear very well, but they have a great sense of smell. And because of the castoreum glands, they smell terrific. <laughs> they smell. So beavers smell like a combination of vanilla and raspberry with some floral hints. They're my new little hero <laughs> I know. in that respect. So now the, the synthetic vanilla, like I said, made from this. There's been a lot of talk about this on the internet. Bloggers like really took off with what I'm saying uh, here about the beaver butts. And Jamie Oliver did two on a talk show. But the fact is, this we are not eating this. 
It's a really fun internet alarmist idea. And you can imagine what this did to vegetarians. Oh, vegans. You know, right. Vegans can't have artificial vanilla. Beavers, yeah. vegans are not allowed to be. That's a good thing. Now, the FDA considers it a natural flavor because it's derived from a natural source. <laughs> it's an unnatural flavor. No, it comes me. naturally. Okay, okay. Uh, and it's listed generally as safe for food consumption. It was added to food for at least 80 years, but now it's rarely, if ever, used in the mass-produced mm. flavor industry. Is it meat? Because it's no. from an animal? No, no, because it's just the yeah. sack. But look at, here's a quiz. It's Gail, you want to play the quiz? Just, can we? Can I have a t-shirt that says it's just the sack? It's food for <laughs> thought, It's called maybe. a caster. Go ahead. So, Gail, okay. why do we not really use castorium now? Is it A because castoreum is carcinogenic in large amounts? Is it B, it contains too great a feces ratio to pass today's <laughs> standards? Or C, milking a beaver is hard. I'm gonna hopefully go with C. You're I'm right. Gonna, yes, thank it God. It is difficult and expensive to milk a beaver. Mm -hmm. So in a live beaver. <laughs> You can't hear my head just going left to right shaking. There's eye rolling like I've never oh. seen before right now. A live beaver, they have to be anesthetized, and the castoreum gland has to be milked by a human. And I found this quote from a wildlife ecologist at Southern Illinois University. Her name is Joanne Crawford. Hi, Joanne. And she described the process. This is really interesting. She's done this. Yeah, she's done. She, well, she, yeah, gloves? she knows about it. With gloves on? Listen to her quote. She described the process as pretty gross. <laughs> If she says it's gross, it's gross. <laughs> That's very technical of her. So it also turns out it is still the main ingredient in Swedish beverhoit. Now, beverhoit literally means beaver shout. You guys didn't know what a fun... Beaver That's the name of my next band, no. by the way, Beaverhoit. I didn't know we were doing a podcast on beavers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was on vanilla. Vanilla bean. This is this is the butt I. Yes, this is the. This is what I do. Yes, the butt. I love it. So beaverhoit is a, or like I said, beaver shout is a traditional sort of schnapps made where you take a set of the casters, you steep them in spirits, and you would consume it as a ceremonial shot by Swedish hunters or trappers, maybe as a holiday drink. And there's actually a brand of Swedish schnapps called beaverhoit. No, no vowels. It's B V R. H-J-T, all capitalized, because if you're going to drink this nonsense, you, you can, it has to be right. You have to look really <laughs> loud. <laughs> so it's really hard to find. And the only thing... Good. Because I'm afraid you've got some. I don't, right? Don't think I didn't oh. look for it. It's kept behind the counter. You have to ask for it just the way you have to scream, the way you just did that. <laughs> so I found this old Reddit. There was an Australian YouTuber trying to buy it for his YouTube channel. And he was asking if there was anyone from Sweden who could find him a bottle and send it. And only one Swede answered him and he said, uh, he could special order it, but I find the idea of Australians trying to drink this affront to sanity to be absolutely hilarious. Costs about $100 a bottle though, so tell me where you want it shipped and I'll figure out how much it would get to cost, how much it would cost to get it halfway around the world. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, I've so, learned so much. Do you want the recipe? Uh, that's our recipe for this week. I love that. You have to find no, the glands. That's the present. That's your Christmas present this year. <laughs> Beaverhoid? Definitely. Merry Christmas. I got you. Beaverhoid! <laughs> you have to find the glands. You have to steep them in the alcohol for three to four months and then double strain it because it gets cloudy, as you can imagine. Mm. Now, you only use a tiny amount to flavor the vodka, like 10 milliliters to a 750 milliliter bottle. And I understand it's got a flavor and smell like whiskey and new leather and juicy 
fruits, kind of with an undertone of vanilla. And Anthony Bourdain, of course, tasted it. And he said, I wouldn't put it on my cornflakes. He eats cornflakes? Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Too soon. But uh, lastly, I read from multiple people that if you drink it, it ends up like extruding from your pores and you smell like a beaver for oh. a week. But then aliens could harvest your glands to make a new alcohol for after you have the beaver hoid. Wow. You don't smell like vanilla for a week? You smell like a vanilla beaver. Vanilla scented beaver. The other band that we should start up. Vanilla scented <laughs> beaver. When I was in high school, I used to use vanilla extract for perfume. Couldn't afford, you know, Chanel number... Five, so I made up Chanel number six, which was vanilla extract. And I would just dab it behind my ears, but it's so fragrant. My fear now is though, maybe I was attracting beavers and didn't know it. <laughs> it's always a fear. Always always keep one eye over your shoulder in case you have aquatic rodents. Beavers are following me home. For that tail slap, right? <laughs> okay, enough of this nonsense. What time is it? What time is it? Is it time for a recipe? The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. All right, so uh, we have a guest today who knows a little something about cooking, a little something about vanilla. Would you give us this week's recipe that people can find at the website? And what do you want to talk? I'd love to. Of course, it's a dessert because I'm a pastry chef. Mm-hmm. And I thought we'd just do something kind of nice and simple, but it really shows off vanilla. So we're going to do a... Vanilla and raspberry rice pudding with a vanilla and lemon scented syrup over it. So the rice pudding is really easy. It's a stovetop one. We're going to use arborio rice or any kind Mm. of starchy rice, and that kind of thickens it naturally. So we don't really need to add eggs. We're going to cook the rice in milk, add a little sugar, and then do a lemon caramel to go with it that we've infused vanilla beans into. Yum. And there's vanilla bean in the rice pudding, too. Okay. So double Can I taste it? Like right now? Tonight you can. Tonight, what? I'm going to make it for you. Listeners, pay attention. She's going to give the address at the end of the podcast. <laughs> Everyone show up at Steve's house. No, seriously, where are we having? Because we're having dinner here tonight. Yeah, Honestly. that's what I'm making for dinner. Because you wow. said we were having ravioli. Yeah, we're having ravioli. So I thought it'd be nice to have something, so, you know, sort of Italian. So it's got arborio rice. But I asked Jimmy, yeah. the husband, like, what do you want for dessert? And he said vanilla pudding. Yeah. Which, yes, well, we used to make that delicious panna cotta. Yes, there's that. And yeah. there's like a vanilla creme légère, but he wanted like vanilla pudding and it just sounded so plain. So I was like, what could I do yeah. that will, you know, fit into what he's asking for, but also fit into a ravioli dinner. And also fit into my mouth tonight. Right. Yeah. So we're making this vanilla arborio rice pudding with some raspberries in it <gasps> and then the vanilla lemon syrup. Hey, listeners, are you jelly? Are you jelly jelly? Yes. <laughs> but oh, you're going to do the, the Baber Hoyt flan next time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So for my cocktail, I went back to our uh, burger restaurant, Spritzburger. We had a restaurant that Gail was doing desserts at here in, in um, Chicago. We called Spritzburger, and it was Dan's Burgers and Gail's Desserts, and my cocktails were all uh, fizzy cocktails. It was how do we take like a vintage cocktail and kind of make it into something bubbly, because I think bubbles go great with burgers, and that's what I wanted. And this was actually a recipe from our terrific head bartender, Rachel Miller. She's so good. We should have her on one day, too. She's so smart. Um, and she set up a salted caramel egg cream, but it's a beer cocktail. Now, beer cocktails are hard to find. Every now and then, you know, people will ask me about a beer cocktail and try to figuring out how Is there to, such a thing? Yeah. yeah. And how do you do them? Other than, say, you know, the... Um, Michelada? The Michelada. Or like a uh, shandy. 
that's you yeah, know, yeah. But more like the Michelada is something that's going to have some tequila or some other co- uh, some other spirit in it. But uh, it's kind of hard to find. And I just love what she did. And this is kind of a, a simpler version of Rachel's recipe. So it's a uh, we're going to use a dulce de leche, which you can make. Gail, how would you make it in a can? I would just take a can of evaporated milk. And is it evaporated no, or condensed? Condensed. 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 condensed? And put it in a pot of water and bring it to a boil and simmer it for, you know, a couple hours. Mm-hmm. So you're not opening the can. You're leaving it in the can. And what happens is the sugar inside starts to caramelize and it gets kind of, you know, toffee colored or caramel yeah. colored. Well, you will do that. And then you're going to add about three tablespoons of that along with a couple drops of vanilla and some good, a good sea salt. And then you're going to top the drink off right into the glass, you're going to pour some beer. We like to use a Hefeweizen, which is a wheat beer, but it's kind of a yeasty wheat beer. And because of that, it's got flavors of banana and clove and all of those flavors of the, of the caramel and the vanilla mm. and the clove and the banana. Just make a really fun drink. Stir it up so you get a good head on it, because that's the point of the egg cream is that it's frothy. Yeah, really frothy. And when she first made it, I thought, that is a strange drink. And it was delicious and really fun. So something different. And I I just want to point out that an egg cream has neither eggs nor cream in it. Yeah, that's always good me. I had yeah. the, I had my first egg cream at Junior's in, in mm-hmm. New York City, yeah. Ooh, and I was excited, thinking that this was going to be. And they brought. I'm like, no, I ordered the egg cream, so I got schooled. But I got schooled in a perfect place. <laughs> So that this is our first episode with a guest. Next episode, we should actually have a beaver. Maybe uh, we can ask him to be a guest and bring in, bring your BYOG, bring your own glands, bring your own beaver. Yeah, BYOB. Do you have anything else that you want to say before we sign off? As a fanboy, I'm, I'm again. I'm just starstruck that you're sitting across the uh, the table uh, from us, and and love that. And I love that you picked up on the the butt of the joke that she actually was pointed out that butt I digest. I never I thought of it. So appreciate you having me on to talk about something that obviously I'm a little obsessed about and know a little too much about. Beaver butts. No <laughs> vanilla. Um, are we done here? I think we're done. What time's dinner? 